G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. And just as a reminder, the clarity of the recording isn't quite as good as when we can do it in the studio. So our apologies there. But as usual, the show must go on. So we found an alternative and it seems to be working pretty well. So thank you for your patience on that. Now, today, I would like to introduce you to Connor Stone, who is doing a PhD in astrophysics under the supervision of Professor Stefan Coteau. Welcome to Grad Chat, Connor. Hi, nice to see you. Or I'll virtually see you, I guess. <laughs> well, that's right. I know this. That's the thing about not being in the studio. I actually prefer to have the, you know, my guest right in front of me. So it, it makes it more like a chat. It's very different when we're doing it online like this, when we don't see anything. All we see is the little bars moving. But um, anyway, at least we're still doing it. So that is good. And it's not like I haven't met Connor before. And I, Connor, apart from doing his PhD, he often volunteers for instance, the Faculty of Arts and Science with various things that they are doing to help promote graduate studies. So uh, it's always great to see Connor in the audience or helping out there. So thanks for doing all that, Connor. Oh, it's lots of fun. I really like, uh, especially there's been a few events talking about grad studies to undergraduate students and sort of explaining what it's like. Um, and they always have so much energy and excitement. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it helps when you know what you're talking about. <laughs> Unlike when I do some of these grad recruitment fairs, it's like I have a general understanding of graduate programs and, and what, what goes on, but there's nothing like speaking to someone who's actually doing it. So we really appreciate any of our students, students that help us out on events like that. So thank you for that as well. And before we actually get on to your research topic, I mean, I love that the fact you're in astrophysics. And of course, I'm a bit of a Trekkie fan and I know it's a bit far-fetched. It's not quite what you do, but I love, you know, I don't just look at the stars. I think of the Star Trek versions and things like that. And I'm sure you get a lot of people asking you about, you know, do you like Star Trek and all these sorts of things? Um, and I guess, do you? Oh, I'm a, I'm a big Trek fan. I've probably seen, well, Next Generation is really my favorite, and I've seen yes. every episode at least three times, I think. Yeah, no, it's good. And I went back to the earlier versions, but um, showing my age, of course, but of course, they're all on repeats now, so anyone can say they've seen them. So, <laughs> uh, so that is good. But I was actually doing some, some Googling before you came on the show, and I, I noticed Queen's back in 2018 hosted the Physics of Galaxy Scaling Relations and the Nature of Dark Matter Conference. Is, is this, did you actually attend that? And, it, and is that what you got, to inter, got you interested in the topic that we're going to be talking about soon? Oh, uh, not only did I attend, I helped organize it. My Even supervisor, <laughs> yeah, my, my supervisor, uh, Stéphane Corteau, he was actually sort of the driving force behind that that meeting and of course all of his students got involved in organizing it and meeting all right. these incredible researchers from around the world that came in it was really sort of a festschrift for some of the 
great astronomers, at least in the galaxy scaling relation world. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Nothing better than being able to listen and chat to people in your field. So what a great opportunity for you. And I can just imagine Stefan Couture doing that because he's He's one of those um, professors who is gung-ho, like, you know, if there's something going on, he's in there helping out and, and making sure his students get involved as well. So so that's brilliant. Oh, yeah. He has like an infinite source of energy. I don't know how he does it. But... <laughs> I can always rely on him. If something needs to happen, I, go, I can always go to him and I know it's going to happen. So it's fantastic. So I guess we should get onto your research topic because I kind of jumped the gun a little bit there. But um, for everyone, uh, Connor's research topic is the Galaxy Manifold, a statistical and systematic analysis, analysis of intrinsic galaxy properties. Now, as soon as I hear, hear the word um, systematic analysis or statistical analysis, I, I get worried because I think there's a lot of math involved there, a potential lot of math. So can you give us a bit of an overview of what actually your research is before we get into more of the nitty gritty questions? Yeah, for sure. So, of, of course, there is there is a great deal of math in there, but the core concepts are really quite intuitive. Galaxy scaling relations are how we understand galaxies on a global level. So maybe I should talk about uh, galaxies first. Yes, that would be um, great. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, if you go back and do it bit by bit, and that then we can put all the pieces together, as we say. Yeah. So let, let's break it down. And first, of course, is a galaxy, and a galaxy is a collection of stars, the Milky Way that we live in, mm -hmm. uh, the milky part of the Milky Way. If you look up in the dark at a dark night that's hundreds of billions of stars light all added together creating that sort of glow that you see right and there are galaxies of all different shapes and sizes so some of them are hundred thousand times smaller than our galaxy and some of them can get more than 10 times bigger than our galaxy so there's all sorts of variety among galaxies mm -hmm. and these galaxy scaling relations, they tell us about the nature of that variety. A more massive galaxy is also generally brighter and bigger, which kind of makes sense. Yeah. But the scaling relations are sort of the, the specific relationship between that. If I make it twice as big, is it twice as heavy or is it three times as heavy? That's the kind of question that a galaxy and when you, and when you say you heavy, what do you mean heavy? Heavy in number of stars or? Right, that's a good question. <laughs> so by heavy, I'm really meaning mass. If you collected all of the stars and all of the gas and all of the dark matter together, that's, that's what I'm meaning by heavy. Okay. right. So I, I can just say mass and um, so if you, if you look at a galaxy that's twice as massive, we might ask, well, is it is it twice as wide as well? The Milky Way galaxy right. is something like 100,000 light years across. Right. But that's actually only a rough measure because the galaxies don't really have an edge. Um, they just sort yeah, of so where does out. one finish and another one start? Exactly, yeah. In, in some sense, the Andromeda galaxy is actually touching the Milky Way galaxy um, if you look at the very faintest of edges between the two of those galaxies. But really, it looks like it's super, super far away. 
So it's hard to define an edge for a galaxy, but that's uh, that's a whole other other point on its own. <laughs> that's why we need to get into our st- uh, Enterprise starships and go and have a look. Exactly. That would and be amazing. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, and so you're looking at um, that relationship then? I'm actually looking at a whole bunch of relations. So I for my galaxies, it's kind of special. I have more information than we usually have. So I've okay. got I've got the luminosity, the total amount of light coming off of these galaxies. I've got the size, at least one version of the size. Um, I've got their mass. I've got how fast they spin, which is actually really important for the kind of galaxies that I look when at. You, so when you say spin, spinning around a central thing like a sun? Well, so it's kind of like our solar system where everything's orbiting around the sun, except for a galaxy, the the thing at the center is a gigantic black hole. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a in the case of our Milky Way, the gigantic black hole is like over a million times more massive than our sun. Okay. Um, so that that's a big big thing there. But there's also billions of stars in the galaxy, and those billions of stars actually contribute more to the gravitational pull than that black hole at the center does. Okay. Which is a little counterintuitive. So Yeah, because most people think the pull is the black hole. Yeah, but the black hole itself, although it's millions of times more massive than our sun, there's so many stars out there that total up to billions of times the mass of our sun. Right. So um, in total, all of those stars and all the gas in the galaxy actually end up sort of contributing more than that black hole does. Okay. So you said you're looking at the luminosity, you're looking at the pull or the rotation. And what other things you're looking at? I look at the color of these galaxies. So whether they are more red or more blue, that actually tells us a little bit about what kinds of stars are in the galaxy. Young stars tend to be very blue and older stars. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah, sorry. So you were, you were, you were answering it. So the young ones are blue. Young ones are bluer, and older ones tend to be more red. Uh, so you can get some sense of what the what the distribution of stars is in a galaxy just by looking at whether it's a little more red or a little more blue. Um, so I've I've got all of these different properties for the galaxies, and I can then basically just plot them against each other. And you get a nice trend that shows bigger galaxies are also heavier, are, are also brighter, they also spin faster. Um, and I can see the specific nature of that. But um, the thing that I'm most directly focusing on is that uh, intrinsic statistical scary other words that you mentioned at the beginning. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> they were your scary words. <laughs> they, they were my scary words, yes. And um, so that, that intrinsic, statistical, and all those other words, what I'm looking at is these, these relations aren't perfect. So if you, if you find a galaxy that's twice as heavy or twice as massive as another galaxy, it's not going to be exactly twice the size. There's some variability. And that variability is actually quite significant. It can be over 40%. Oh, that um, is big, isn't it? So there's, there's a lot. About stats. <laughs> <laughs> so 
And I mean, that's not too surprising. The range that galaxies cover is incredible. The smallest galaxies in my sample compared to the biggest galaxies in my sample is similar to the comparison between a mouse and a house. Is that right? So it's the the mass difference is just incredible. The, they cover an in, insane range, and yet they all fall along the same basic trends. So first of all, how many galaxies are you talking about here when you're, you're looking? Because you keep man- mentioning multiple. Yeah, good question. Um, so I have about uh, 1,200 galaxies oh my that I look at. Okay, that's a lot. It, it is a lot. A lot if you have the kind of uh, data that I have for them. Right. There are, if, if you just want pictures, there are pictures of hundreds of thousands or even millions of galaxies out there. Um, but getting, getting really, really high quality data and getting all of the different measures that I have is really quite challenging. So the samples tend to be more in the hundreds scale and mine's up just over a thousand. So I'm pretty happy about that. So with all this data that you're collecting, where are you getting this data from? I mean, are you looking in the sky yourself or are you getting it from other people? So thankfully for me, other astronomers have done all the hard work and (laughs) they've, (laughs) It's probably fun, though, looking up into the sky. Oh, it's so much fun. I have gone to visit some of these telescopes, and they're just incredible machines. Gigantic, multi-story, tall, um, like, collections of very, very precise mirrors and uh, other optics that is all aligned to within very, very tight precision. But the thing is also gigantic. And they also move really gracefully. Like you, you can't even hear it when this thing that weighs many, many tons is turning around to face you. <laughs> Unreal. Cause you, I mean, cause I imagine getting noise from that too wouldn't help, would it? Well, any noise is a vibration and you don't want Correct. a vibration. So they're, they're engineered really, really well. That's great. So um, back to another question. So what are, so you talk about this galaxy scaling relations, why are they useful to astronomers like yourself? Yeah, so they're useful in a few ways. The sort of uh, the most straightforward way that it's useful is as a distance indicator. So if okay. you can create one of these relations where one of the parameters doesn't depend on how far away the galaxy is, but another parameter does, then you can you can measure it, measure the one that doesn't depend on the. Then you know where what the other parameter should be. So you you know, say, how bright the galaxy should be. But it looks really dim on the sky because it's far away. Right, right. And you can, you can use that comparison to measure the distance to that galaxy. And so that you can do a really large survey and quickly get distances to a whole bunch of galaxies. I like to think of galaxies almost as the lighthouses of the universe because they're so bright, you can see them way farther than you can see just about anything else. Right. I, I imagine looking up in the sky is very different for you compared to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but through the through the Queen's Observatory, I get to share what I see with yes, all sorts of other people. That's true, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show because I think that's really neat that um, we we have our own little observatory here, which the community community can use to or come and have a look at too. So this intrinsic scatter around galaxies. 
Can you explain that a little bit more? You know, what are they and why is the intrinsic scatter important? Or is it the same as what you're talking about before, the, the scaling relations? Yeah, or so some of those areas that you talked about, luminosity, rotation, etc. Right. So those relations between the luminosity, rotation, size, those have scatter around them. They're not perfect relations. And that variability is hard to nail down because when we when we measure these parameters, we don't measure them exactly. We have lots of uncertainty. Galaxies are very faint right. mm-hmm. on the sky, and so it's it's quite hard to measure these parameters. So you have some uncertainty and you want to know what the real variability is because then you can go and check your simulation to see if it's getting that variability right. Right. And this is where your math comes in. Th- this is where the math comes in. And so my math is all about understanding those uncertainties in making the measurement and trying to subtract that from the total scatter cosmic variability that you're seeing in these relations and get down to the true amount of variability, not just the added amount that you got because it was hard to measure the parameter in the first place. Now, I understand you've you've developed is if you've developed or you've used um, something that's called a Bayesian framework for determining this intrinsic scatter. So what what is that and how accurate? I mean, yeah. Well, that's that's the scary math part. (laughs) (laughs) And so to simplify it, there's a standard way that all the astronomers use, at least up to this point, where you you add up all of the errors that you know about. And you just subtract them from the total amount of scatter that you've seen. The problem with doing that is that some sources of error actually contribute to both parameters at the same time. So it's quite often that getting the distance wrong will change your luminosity, but it will also change the size that you estimate for that galaxy. And when, when an error affects both parameters, at the same time, it has a different kind of effect on the amount of scatter than it would if it was only affecting a single parameter at a time. Okay. So my Bayesian framework can consider all of that complexity simultaneously, packages it all up nice and neatly, and gives you a final answer that's generally uh, 25% more accurate. And that's, that's under... Under worst case scenarios, it can be like it, it can be way more accurate if you're in a scenario where the standard algorithm starts to fail. So, will your Bayesian analysis framework become more of the standard in future? That's my hope. It's it's uh, really a matter of how difficult it is to implement. So, I've done my very best to make it easy for all the astronomers <laughs> to use this algorithm. Uh, I, I put the code right in the paper, and I've, I think I've explained how to use it, so that I'm really hoping. <laughs> well, if they can't understand it, well, I certainly won't be able to, but hopefully they will. But why did you use this word Bayesian? Right, so Bayesian has to do with um, how you understand where the uncertainties are coming from and what they mean. And so there's, there's a step in my analysis where I use Bayes' theorem to get my estimate of the intrinsic scatter. And that's that's why I call it a Bayesian algorithm, because there's one critical point where I go from 
I, I switch over from understanding the sources of error to understanding the intrinsic scatter. And where that switch happens, I use Bayes' theorem. Okay. And is this when you talk about, you, you gave me a possible question here of you know, how can you determine if a relation between many parameters is more fundamental than the already understood two parameter relations? And I'm assuming the two parameter relations is the standard method. Right. So that's sort that of the totally next different? step for my analysis. Ah, okay. Um, so the, the, whole, the whole idea of what I want to do with my PhD is, uh, as we said at the beginning, get to intrinsic statistical properties of galaxies. And as it is right now, for the most part, when we study galaxies, we look at two parameters at a time, we fit a line, and we measure the scatter around that line. Right. But there's no reason why you can't take that idea up to three parameters or four parameters or as many as you can measure from a galaxy. So more three-dimensional and, and above. Exactly, yeah. And the math, for the most part, stays the same. But of course, conceptually, it gets a fair bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to decide whether it was, it was worth it to go up to three or four dimensions when two dimensions was doing pretty good as is. So this intrinsic scatter tells you about how tight a relationship is. And if adding a third or a fourth parameter suddenly makes your relationship uh, considerably more accurate or more tight, right. le having less scatter, that means that you've explained some of the scatter by including the extra dimension. And that means that you've found something more fundamental. What is the hope for this, you know, as a general person in the population, or even as if other astrophysicists, what is the, what do you think the main purpose is of you going that to looking at that extra dimension or extra parameter to help? I mean, what are you hoping that'll happen and just more astrophysicists will use what you've got to be able to show what, what other things are out there? Or... Or what? Because it's not like the majority of us can even go and see these galaxies. Right. So the question of does this matter is the question that's always in the back of the mind mm -hmm. for a scientist and also the scariest question to ask. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so the way I see it is everyone is interested in astronomy. Everyone wants to know what's going on up in space. Yeah. And galaxies are the context wherein just about everything in astronomy happens. Galaxies are where stars are born, where those stars get their planets, where black holes form. Black holes are always fun to talk about. Yep. And so all of, all of these things that we want to know about astronomy happen in the context of a galaxy. So the better we understand the galaxy, the better we understand how all of these different parts of astronomy sort of connect with each other. But and why, why not just look at our galaxy and make sure we totally understand our galaxy first before looking further ahead? Right. So understanding our galaxy means placing it in the context of other galaxies as well. Is our galaxy big? Is it small? Oh, is, it, is it normal in any way or is it weird in some ways? And so there are people who will create simulations that entirely look at the Milky Way plus Andromeda galaxy 
and sort of see how they behave. But there are also people who simulate essentially entire universes, create huge populations of simulated galaxies and see how they compare with the Milky Way. I'm more on the observational side. So I I try to see, all right, what, what kinds of galaxies are out there? And are the simulators actually creating all of these different types of galaxies that we see? And understanding the scatter or the variability of these galaxies is also important for understanding if our simulations are representing the full range, full gamut of possible galaxies that are out there. That's brilliant. Actually, what I, I'm, I'm glad you sort of talked about all that too, because uh, before the, the show here, I went onto your website and I love how you say in the beginning, scientific knowledge is worthless if it can't be shared with everyone. Oh, yes, I very and, much believe that. Yeah, which is fantastic. That's very much what I believe in too. I mean, there's some great research going on at, on campus, and but people need to know about it. So the fact that you've used that as part of your website, I think that's fantastic. And um, what was nice about your website too, first of all, you've got some photographs there, which I know you say you're an amateur photo photographer, but they look really good to me. And if anyone wants to go onto Connor's website, please, you should you should do because um, it's been actually um, brilliant to look at some of those galaxies that you've you've taken snapshots of. I doubt the snapshots, but they're probably a bit more. Yeah. Well, that. it's a more like a hundred snapshots <laughs> added together yeah, to get them together. So, you know, like I said, Connor's got his own website, connorjstone.com. Um, and then you can, on there, you can look at the astrophotography. But the other thing about, you know, getting your research out there for everyone to, to be able to share, you mentioned earlier that you are at the coordinate or you work at the Queen's Observatory and you are the coordinator of some of the programming that goes on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because, you know, public outreach is super, super important for all of us. Yeah, so the the Queen's Observatory is, has, well, I'm going to have to break it up into two sections, before COVID and after COVID. Ah, uh, yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> so before COVID, every month we hosted a public observatory open house, free for anyone, all ages, to come in and uh, learn about space from an astronomer, and then go and see it for themselves through our telescope. Uh, every, everyone loves to look through this this big, it's 14 inches telescope. Yeah. And we had we had a whole bunch of science stations. The, the program was really quite put together. A hundred people pretty much every month coming through. And since COVID, obviously we can't do in-person events. You can't get a hundred people in a room anymore. So we've started our own podcast program. We call it Fast Radio Bursts, which, which is, is a bit awesome. of a joke because yeah. Fast Radio Bursts are <laughs> a mystery in astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this Fast Radio Bursts podcast, once a month we interview an astronomer and also once a month we do a bit of a deep dive into some current uh, subject in astronomy. Right. And so we, we've had a lot of fun doing this podcast and sort of sharing a little more in-depth knowledge than, than you can maybe at an open house, but also sharing a lot of the astronomy that's being done here at Queen's, which is right. really exciting. 
I did listen to a couple of your podcasts, so thank you for that. And it, it was interesting to to hear some of the, the information that was being told. I did find some of it a little bit challenging. So I, I wonder with that, with the, with the programming for the in-person, was it towards an audience that is for like for kids or for adults or a combination of both? So the in-person programming was certainly intended for all ages. We had very little kids coming and sort of being picked up by their parents to look through the telescope. Right. And uh, so we, we made sure that that was generally accessible for everyone. With the podcast, we've, we've sort of tried to aim at like high school level and above because we figure right. those, those are the people who are going to be listening to podcasts. Well, that's true. Yes, that's a good point. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's tricky to, to sort of change our, our balance of difficulty, but um, we we've been having a, a lot of fun, and certainly my uh, my family has been telling me that they enjoy them. <laughs> well, you got to love family, don't you? <laughs> they can always be your number one fan. I know my grand was always my number one fan. <laughs> yeah. And what about when we, we can eventually have tours back on campus? Do you, with part of your outreach, uh, do you have opportunities, say, for elementary school kids to come and be taught a little bit about the sky above us? When we can run in-person events, we certainly do tours of the observatory for schools or summer camps and those sorts of groups. Um, as it is right now with everything locked down, we do what we call virtual tours, okay. where we we do a virtual planetarium. So on my computer, I have software that lets me basically explore the night sky however I like to, right. and I can share that uh, through the internet with a class, and we sort of walk through what's going on in the sky right now, and all, all sorts of fun stuff that they can either do at home or... Uh, point out to their parents. <laughs> but if this is for the kids, um, is that during the day or at night? I mean, can you see stuff during the day? Well, so the virtual tours we can do anytime because it's just code on my computer. Oh, I see. Okay, right. Well, that's good. And when we did the in-person tours, we would actually use a solar telescope to look at the sun. And there's, right. there's a fair bit of activity you can see on the sun, even with uh, a pretty straightforward solar telescope but That's definitely you need to use a uh, a designed solar telescope do not try pointing a regular telescope at the sun no well, <laughs> is that because you just won't get a good picture or it's going to hurt your eyes it'll it'll hurt your eyes and it it may even melt the telescope because oh. Well, that's no good. <laughs> yeah, the, the sun is really bright, and the telescope is all built around collecting that light and focusing it. Oh, uh, okay, makes sense. Wow, there's a lot of things you have to think about, isn't there? Oh yeah. And, and what about your photography, your astrophotography? You're clearly enjoying trying, you know, putting your hand up and trying to do that as a bit of a hobby. Yeah. So, uh, as the special camera. I, I use a fairly regular camera. It's a it's a DSLR, so it it's it's not your phone camera. Although I have used my phone, oh. um, it's it's a standard camera, and I can hook it up to the Queen's Observatory telescope. So all the photos that you see come through the Queen's Observatory, right. and and um, I just have to fiddle around with the settings 
tell it to um, forget any sort of automation because all of its code is built around the wrong sorts of scenes compared to what I'm looking for. <laughs> and so I flip it into fully manual, tell it to take a really long exposure. It may right. just leave the camera sensor open for a good 15, 30 seconds before oh, it closes. And, and then I take a whole bunch of photos, I add them together and that sort of uh, reduces the noise and you get these really pretty pictures of a whole bunch of different galaxies that are out there that you really can't see, even if you look through the telescope yourself, you need right. the camera to collect enough light in order to see anything. That's awesome. Well, I, I take my hat off to you because you're not only, you know, highly involved with your own research, but having this a bit of a hobby as well. You, some people would say, well, haven't you seen enough of the galaxies? But being able to <laughs> capture it, <laughs> it must be fascinating for you. And I really think the outreach that you're part of as well is fantastic. Um, and, you know, particularly, you know, as you said on your, your website, about scientific knowledge is worthless if it can't be shared with everyone. So, you know, you're, you're really keeping to that. So that's fantastic. So I really appreciate, Connor, you coming on to the show today and explaining your me. research about what's going on in the galaxies out there and your, your Bayesian analysis framework model, um, statistic, <laughs> word, one of those other scary words to put in there. Um, it sounds like you've got a lot of work to do, and I really do hope that the other astrophysicists see the potential of what you've got, what you've been doing. So best of luck with all of that. Thank you. Uh, the, the paper going through and explaining all this is sort of in review right now, and so I've got my fingers crossed. Thank, oh, thanks so, so much. at the end. <laughs> Thanks, thanks so much for having me on. No worries at all. Thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. So that's it, everyone. A, another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show. Oh, can't even say that. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts or Stitcher. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples. The CFRC Podcast Network at podcast.cfrc.ca is brought to you by the generous support of the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. 